Welcome to this episode of Season 4 of The Common Bridge, where policy and current events are discussed in a fiercely nonpartisan manner. The host, Richard Helpy, is a philanthropist, entrepreneur, and political analyst who has reached over 3.5 million listeners, viewers, and readers around the world. The Common Bridge is available on the Substack website and the Substack app. Just search for The Common Bridge. You can find the program on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. The Common Bridge draws guests and audiences from across the political spectrum, and we invite you to become a free or paid subscriber on your favorite medium. Hello, welcome to The Common Bridge. I am your host, Rich Helpy, and with us today we have Dr. Loran Starr. We're going to be talking today about diversity, equity, and inclusion. These buzzwords are out in the news every day. What do they mean? What does it really mean in practice? And today, Dr. Starr is going to try to educate our audience. Dr. Starr, welcome. Uh, Thank you so much for having me. This is wonderful. And hello to your audience. Thank you. Our, Our listeners, our viewers, our readers are literally around the world. So no telling where this is going to be picked up. I love it. Dr. Starr wrote a book called Evidence-Based Inclusion. And the tagline is, it's time to focus on the right needle. What Mm -hmm. are we measuring? She has a PhD in industrial organizational psychology and is one of the first people in the United States whose PhD is specialized in inclusion. Her dissertation examined diversity training, and its impact on perceived organizational justice. And I'll tell you, organizational justice is something I haven't heard about. Dr. Starr's dissertation has been published. It's now cited as a foundational piece of evidence for inclusion, diversity, and equity. But this is not just an academic story. She has been a senior human resource leader with over 20 years of successfully driving high-performing organizational culture and employees. She is raising the bar by driving measurable change within organizations through data-driven strategies. And all my listeners, readers, and viewers know I'm very much about data being a, I want to say former computer nerd, but perhaps you never lose that. She's known for uncovering blind spots to achieve optimal performance and enhance retention. And she dives in where others tread lightly. So Dr. Starr, welcome to the Common Bridge. How are you today? I'm great. Wow, that was a mouthful. (laughs) Indeed. Our audience wants to hear about you, and and our audience likes to know a little bit about our guests. So do you mind filling us in a little bit on your biography? Where did you grow up? What was your education like? And what's your career arc been like? Yeah, so I've done a lot of things. I believe in living life to the fullest. Um, I I grew up, you know, lower class, uh, white lower class in Bill Ricca, Massachusetts. Um, From there, I found that education was my way to get out of poverty. And I joined the army to help pay for my education. There was no money to send me. So let's join the army. And I joined the army. And really, that's where my journey in inclusion started. Um, The army does what I like to call forced inclusion. You don't have a choice. Um, Whoever you're paired up with is who you're paired up with. And you have to rely on them for your life. Um, I was a trauma medic. I served in the Gulf War of 1990. I've been all over the globe with the Army, loving every minute of it. Uh, And then from there, worked on my degrees, right? Came back and and put all those life skills into practice. And 
undergraduate. And then when I finally hit 40, I went to graduate school and finalized my PhD in DE&I. And my career really has been all over the place And that I started off in pharmaceutical sales and healthcare sales um, and did really well there. I think in large part because I already have the inclusion lens in place. Um, when I looked around, and and I was a woman entering the workforce in the you know in the mid '90s, all I kept hearing was glass ceiling, glass ceiling, glass ceiling, and I was conditioned out of that with the military. So I didn't understand this whole glass ceiling philosophy, um, and I still struggle with it today. I'll be honest with you because I think often we as humans like to find blame and excuses. And honestly, if you're working in an environment that you see or perceive that there's a glass ceiling, you have two choices, change it immediately or get out, right? That onus kind of falls on you. And again, that goes back to my military background. Um, So that's pretty much me in a quick glance. I'm a mom of three amazing kids whose kids aren't amazing. Um, I will be an empty nester next year. They'll all be in college next year, which is nice. And I'm looking forward to that. And um, I drink a lot of red wine. (laughs) <laughs> well, <laughs> red wine is a very good thing, particularly during the holiday season. Yes. Um, and uh, thank you for your service in our military. And it's a wonderful story in the way you've taken those lessons. And as far as being empty nested, they tend to rebound. Just letting you know, okay, don't don't sell the big house yet. No. Okay? They're coming back for at least a little <laughs> pre-launch party. But with that, your book, Evidence-Based Inclusion, it's time to focus on the right needle. I thought that was a great title. Clearly, our country has historical issues, and that historical issues is centered up around Black people, where there was literally legal to own a person that had a drop of Negro blood in them. That was the law of the land. And you know, during my lifetime, we've had the Civil Rights Act. And we continue to make progress and there is opportunity now and more equality of opportunity. We still have a way to go. And, you know, we have other groups that some will say are jumping on the bandwagon and others will point out that maybe a class needs to have some type of protection. So let's talk a little bit about that. One of the things that you say in your book is diversity and inclusion aren't the same Why do you say that and why is that important? Oh, God, this has driven me crazy for the last 20 years. The last 20 years, I've really honed in on DE&I. And the amount of organizations I've gone into and they they start off with, we want DE&I in the workplace. And then my question is, well, which one? Which one do you want to focus on? Well, not all of them, but which one are we going to focus on? Okay, now DE&I, diversity. Diversity, equity, inclusion. And there's this... Mass confusion that D, E, and I are all the same thing, and they are not. Diversity has its own set of goals. Inclusion has its own set of goals and outcomes, and equity has its own set of goals and outcomes. And you cannot hit all three at once. What are some diversity goals, some inclusion goals, and some equity goals? Yeah, so when when I ask people, how do you define diversity? I was amazed at the amount of inaccuracy around definitions I was finding. It, it, it's kind of like what your perception of diversity is, but that's not 
a business framework, right? I'm, I'm, your perception is great, but I need to understand what you think diversity means. So I really set out to level set first and foremost. So let's level set it for your audience. Diversity. If you take a bag of Skittles and you dump that bag of Skittles out and you separate all the colors, so you have an orange pile, a red pile, a purple pile, a green pile, a blue pile, you have diversity in color. That's diversity. Diversity is a way in the workplace we can measure specific affinities. That's diversity. It really is that simple. The benefit of diversity or the goal of diversity is different perspectives. Fabulous. So that's what we're shooting for by having all of these subgroups is shared perspectives, right? So that we can problem solve easier. I took all the green Skittles away. A diversity yep. goal might be you got to get some green Skittles over here. Got to get some green Skittles over here. But then I always ask that question, why? why? Why do you want the green Skittles? I know why you want the green Skittles. But we need to shake that out a little bit and be a little more courageous around asking those questions. Why do we want more green Skittles? What are some of the answers you get that you support? And what are some of the answers you get that make you cringe? Um, so I get a lot of it's good business. And that makes me cringe. I'm sorry. <laughs> It's good business is just a band-aid blanket statement mm -hmm. because that's what the you know executive team wants. Another blanket statement, uh, blanket statement. You know, when we see anytime I see quota attainment, we want to improve diversity by three percent of people of color in leadership. I ask the why, and it's because we've decided that that will impact our business. Impact your business how? Well, what do you mean? They, there is no there is no solid answer there. And I follow that question up with the better question of, and how are you going to support that 3%? In other words, we have diversity and diversity, we want diversity in an organization because we absolutely want diversity of perspective and thought. Well, is it perspective of thought or is it diversity of ancestral heritage or external observations? It's your lived experience. At the end of the day, I want to know what my consumers' lived experience is. Let me give you an example. Okay, If you took a person clearly of African-American descent, and they grew up with you in Bellarica, Massachusetts, and worked those same type of jobs and then got into the military to get out, versus someone that was born in Cambridge, and they were a child of university mm -hmm. professors, yet they happened to be African-American, how do you measure that diversity? Yeah, right. So we go, okay, so we have two individuals, and that's a great question, Rich. We have two individuals that have the same skin color, right? They're both black, but they both have very different lived experiences. But if you're putting them in there with the Skittles, if I understand the Skittles, ah. you're just looking at the outside of the Skittles and going, <laughs> okay, you're a black Skittle in this case, and you're a white Skittle. So I'm, what I'm trying to understand, I'm trying to get to a definition of diversity. And what it sounds like to me is that that diversity is about ancestral heritage and, you know, external appearance. Is there something else to that? Yeah. Diversity is um, pretty much that, right? It's how we categorize groups of people. That's it. Okay. So the diversity goal might be we need more women or we need more people with African-American heritage or Asian-American heritage. Mm -hmm. Something of that effect. Okay. Mm -hmm. So what would be a good inclusion goal then? How does yeah, your inclusion so, goal? 
We have diversity out here in the wings, and it seems like business today for the last 60 years doesn't seem like. For the last 60 years, organizations have been focusing on diversity, diversity, diversity. Mm -hmm. And they've been hiring diversity, and it's created this revolving door because they don't have the foundation in place. The foundation is inclusion. So, right, anyone that's listening, if your organization has any type of DEI initiatives, they better be focusing on it. On, on inclusion? Or are you just spinning a wheel here? What does that mean, though? If I landed in here from Mars, I guess that'd make me diverse, too. If I landed from Mars and I said, all right, I, I'm going to have a goal for more inclusion, tell me a goal that maybe you gave to a client for inclusion. What would that oh. look like? Well, we first have to level set, Rich, right? It, because inclusion means so much to so many different people. Inclusion is a culture. It's part of an organizational culture. And that culture is inviting and accepting of individual differences where individuals have a seat at the table, a shared voice, their ideas are heard, um, and they're welcome. They can bring their whole self to work. And, and what cracks me up just yesterday, just like just yesterday, if, if there was a, a camera in my office, it would be like one of those funniest videos. The Senate shot down the crown bill, which was a bill that allowed African-American or people of color to wear their hair the way they wish to wear their hair, rather than conforming to the norm, rather than conforming to the white normative, let's call it what it is in the workplace. The Senate shot this down. They said, no, we, we don't want to put this bill in action. I have a lot of employees that are people of color that want to wear their braids or their afro or and and now they're being told no it doesn't matter let me just say this in in any private enterprise and i've been in a lot of them i've never heard about a hair mandate we've got some very unusual colors these days and to the current styles i've never heard of that now our government of course might be a little different a little bit weird but also I trying to get to the, the core of inclusion. And as you were talking about that, I kind of envisioned a, a conference table and people talking around trying to figure out how to share ideas. I know that when I was in business, which was a lot of consulting, I told people, I want your whole brain here because I paid for your whole brain and I expect the whole thing coming. So, you know, we're not trying to find a yes answer. We're trying to find all of our answer that we all agree on. Mm -hmm. Is that what inclusion's like? We hear from everybody and Yes, and we value everyone, right? We see everyone's strengths and areas of difficulties. So how do I know if you came into business ABC and it had an inclusive culture, how would you know? And similarly, if it didn't have an inclusive culture, how would you know? What would be the some of the symptoms? Yeah. So from my consulting framework, right, from the consulting work I've done, I go into an organization and the first thing I ask for is retention numbers. Let me see your retention numbers. Mm -hmm. And then we shake those numbers out. And that's when I apply the diversity lens. Okay. Right. Let's now shake out those retention. Who's leaving? And is there any correlation among affinity groups, blacks, Hispanics, Latinos, women, men, white? It, Let's shake that information out, first and foremost. Then I also look at sick days. What does our sick time look like here? See, because when you have an inclusive organizational culture, your employees are much healthier. They mm -hmm. like their job. There's a reduction of stress. 
They feel like they're part of something bigger. From there, I then start breaking down the numbers looking at advancement. So does your does your senior leadership team mirror your bottom team? Is it all white? Is it all white men? Is it all white women? Or is there some diversity? Are we seeing a sprinkling of or a mix of like minds? Like-minded, right? That's that perceived sharing the, the different perceptions and lived experiences. So it comes back to ancestral heritage and external appearance. And likeness, right? So so when we say diversity, I don't want I don't want your listeners thinking, oh, well then diversity is just my ethnicity and my heritage. Nope. It's veterans. Uh, it's a disability. Do you have a disability? That is a diversity, right? We have the eight protected classes here in the United States. Um, so businesses tend to focus in on them, but that diversity range can right the the different affinities that make us unique is mind-boggling. Now we are 98% more alike when we look at the human genome. That 2% is the beauty of the human being, right? That's that uniqueness, our personalities, socioeconomic status, family, education, education level type of education, um, parentage, and so forth, beyond, right, to include race, ethnicity, disability, veteran status, sexual orientation, gender identity, gender. There's so much more there than just race and ethnicity. But I'm coming back to what can be measured in a conference room. If it's all a bunch of Ivy League educated folks from the Northeast, be black, white, brown, yellow, red, and they can identify as lots of different genders, but they pretty much are the same because they came out of the same way of thinking. Yet it seems that if we said, all right, inclusion comes back to diversity, it'd say, yeah, you're, you look very diverse, but in reality, you're not. And I only bring that up because on this show, we've had a number of people on, and they're very nice people, by the way, and not unintelligent, but you know, grow up in the Northeast, go to college in the Northeast, go to work in Washington, they don't understand what the rest of the country looks like. Maybe they go out to the other coast, but they're well-meaning, but they just don't understand. Just like it'd be really hard for a person that didn't come from your humble origins to understand what you had to go through to get there. You know, my mom was a PhD, my dad was a PhD, and yeah, of course, went from the day I was in the fourth grade, I was trying to think about what type of doctorate I wanted to get. So let's move on to equality and equity. And you you say they're not the same. What's the difference between equality and equity? Equality is everyone gets everyone gets the same. Equity is everyone gets what they need. And in order to have equity in the workplace, we need the social infrastructure build up so that we're all equitable when we enter the workplace. And we don't have that. So to each according to their needs and from each according to their ability? Mm-hmm. And we are finding that right in the workplace, we are finding- You realize that's a Marxist construct, correct? Yes. Okay. And in the time that we've had the human race, that's never been possible. Nope. That's why, you know, my, my next book coming out is, you know, equity versus, you know, to be or not to be equity versus equality. We've got to figure out how we blend these two to create a thriving workforce. And can we blend these two? I don't know yet. Let's think about 
quality in terms of equal opportunity. Let's make no mistake that in our country, minorities, new immigrants, homosexuals, and others that were perceived as different from the norm were denied opportunity. They didn't get the chance. One of the things I valued in my career was that I was a computer programmer way back. And the greatest thing is a computer had no idea what you looked like. Okay. And mm-hmm. it, 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 it did the same thing for everybody. It was a great leveler. And I thought that was a very positive thing. So everybody had an opportunity to try to program that computer and you either could do it or you couldn't do it. Equity though is everybody's going to get something, but I'm trying to fill in that gap. Who determines what they need to get? Who determines what they need to get? And similarly, who provides it? Mm-hmm. Oh, there's a cost to it. Uh, you know, there there is a to- there is a cost to equity. Absolutely. Um, one of the reasons college education is so expensive, it's it's number three spend falls under equity, which is providing services, educational services like tutoring, uh, additional additional lab time and whatnot, providing that to the students that weren't fortunate enough to grow up in New England, which has a very different education base than, say, the South. But yet we still want diversity in our colleges in New England. So we take these students from the South, bring them up, and then we have to raise them up. That's equity. There's a price tag with equity. Right. Well, I, I mean, I might quarrel with you about the cost of colleges when you look at the number of students, the number of teaching professionals, and then you look at the administrations and then the capital projects, and not a mystery to me why it's at a ridiculous price. And then we fueled it with obscene mafia-type loans. And that's another part of that. Uh, Dr. Starr, my experience with equity is that with equity comes responsibility. And having led organizations and advised a lot of organizations, there's a split. There are people that want to earn equity through more responsibility, and there are people that want to demand equity, yet not shoulder any of the responsibility. Have you ever come across anything like that in your practice? That's, that's our book of business right now, right? This is why equity is so, it's so in the gray, because we have practices out there where companies are giving everything with no accountability. And then you have companies that are stepping up saying there needs to be some accountability and responsibility when it comes to this equity component. They don't know how to do it yet. What would a goal of equity look like? So a goal of equity would be right from workforce. When I look at workforce, planning a goal of equity there is to make sure that your workforce represents your consumer base. That's equity. What would an example of that be? But if you could homogenize it, you got a consumer company that does this, that was selling to this market. So I work with, right, one of my one of my clients uh, is a, a cosmetic organization. Mm-hmm. Um, and from there, who do they sell their cosmetics to? We take a look at the blanket of who their consumers are, and then we make sure that it's reputable in, or that there's that representation from the VP or the actually the C-suite down, that we have that representation. So that we have, you know, if 13% are trans utilizing this product, then we make sure that we have 13% of our leadership staff are trans. That's equity. I don't know, and and some of your listeners might be going, oh, salary, salary equity. We want this salary equity. Um, everyone out there, there's no such thing as salary equity, 
right? It, we, we have too many soft skills that need to be measured. Right? Another another uh, skill that I learned in the military, military pays everybody based on your grade. Everybody makes the same amount of money, but yet not everybody is everybody, right? Not everybody in that grade is equal. In business, my simple formula was you return more to the business than it costs to employ you. And everybody's got that job and that metric. And if you're creating more value, you can make more money. You make more money. That's the antithesis of picking someone based on one of those external views. And that we said, this is the grade. And if you make the grade, acquire the skills, make the grade, then you'll be contributing more, then you'll make more money. And just before anybody jumps off, I, I will tell you that we had over 45% women in senior leadership. We didn't do that, by the way, on purpose. We just had this culture that was driven based on ability to serve clients and serve the business. And the Department of Labor came in and did an audit and nominated us for an EVE award because they were you know, led by me, which I have a certain ethnicity that would qualify me, but they didn't in that regard. But our next three people were all clearly people of color. And I just never thought about it. We just you didn't think about it, right? It was no, yes. Because we had standards. Now I'm trying to think if I had to set out and say, okay, I've got to create equity and I've got to go out and hire people of a certain external view or certain transsexual people that do they have the positions based on that external or do they have the position based on the fact that they can contribute to the enterprise. I guess I'm a little confused with that. Yeah, so you said earlier that equity was um, having equal opportunity to everything. No, I was differentiating. I was saying that equality was everybody gets a chance. Everybody gets a chance. And I grew up in a blue collar, you know, lower middle class town, but I I had a basketball, right? And we had places to shoot basketballs. And so I had an equal opportunity to play basketball. Right. Yep. I, I didn't have the skills to play basketball, being too short, too slow, and and, and the like, right? Yeah. Well, I had equality of basketball, but I didn't have equity. I'm not demanding the NBA give me a spot. Well, you don't deserve it. Exactly. Right. I'm saying is it, but I had the shot. But I can also see in a situation like that that a child that didn't have a basketball, they didn't have mm-hmm. equality or equity. They didn't have equality or equity. Yeah. And so you can force equity, as you just said, to unqualified folks, or you can create equality of opportunity. How do you split that when the federal government might come in and measure you solely Mm -hmm. based on your outcomes, on on the fact that you were able to get enough Skittles of the right color? Skittles of the right color. Well, right. It's more than Skittles of the right color. It's making sure that they're qualified Skittles of the right color um, that are going to be innovative and productive and be able to actually do that job. Is this where you're starting to talk about the affinity iceberg? Yeah. Can you tell our listeners or readers and our viewers, what, what is the affinity iceberg? I love the affinity iceberg because it really gives you a, it gives a solid example. If you look at an iceberg, right? If you're out on the Alaskan waters and you're looking at the iceberg, trust me, after you've seen the second one, you're done. Um, it's time to order a drink, bartender, bring me a drink. They all look the same, right? They're white, they're cold. Um, some might have a penguin on it if you're lucky. I, I've never seen a penguin. Um, some are tall, some are short, but they're pretty much all the same, boring. However, 
And that that's like people, right? We are the, what you see on the outside is like the above the waterline of an iceberg, right? We might have different colors, but we're tall or short, blonde hair, blue eyes, whatever have you, different skin color. That's it. When you dive, I'm a scuba diver. And when you dive underwater, so now we're in Alaska and now we're diving. The Our true beauty, uh, well, I'm in a wetsuit that's, yeah, temp regulated. Uh, so the beauty of that iceberg is when you're underwater because the light reflect, reflects very differently on that I, on that iceberg, on that piece of ice based on water temperature, salt content, the deeper you go, the more, right? The deeper you go, the less salt, the, the more up the top, there's higher salt levels. Same thing with temperature. You'll see fish at different levels, but you really see the beauty of that iceberg, much like people, when you go below the line. So when we go below the line, now it's, and, and it's funny because I'm, I'm going to pull back here, Rich, I'm going to pull you back to an earlier comment, right? That yes, we've got, you know, a PhD up in New England, right? Their parents are PhDs. This one's black, this one's white. They're pretty similar. They're actually really not. Um, when we dive below, well, the heritage and culture that each individual brings, um, the parentage, right? Their own critical thinking, just because you grew up in the Northeast doesn't mean you have great critical thinking skills. Um, doesn't mean that you didn't have struggles, right? You may have a little bit more privilege than someone down South, but there's more to it. And that's all underneath the surface. That is so much more underneath the surface. They may be all carrying Kate Spade bags at BU. I'm going to pick on BU here, right? That might be all. My daughter's looking at BU, so. Yeah. Uh, that, that could get us. That, that, that sounds a little stereotypical, but right. go ahead. I'm, I'm going to go with it, right? Kate Spade or Gucci or what, right? They're all, trust me, I was just on campus and I was like flabbergasted over the designers of backpacks and whatnot. But they may be all carrying that. Um, and they, right, we've got a nice mix of Asian and white and Hispanics and Blacks and African Americans, but I'm only seeing the tip of the iceberg. I'm only seeing above the waterline. When I start sitting down and talking with some of these students, they may have four languages under their belt. They may, right, firmly believe in social justice. They may, right, they may be bringing their culture with them. They may be immigrants first generation, second generation. Um, that's the beauty. You're kind of making the case for an opportunity society that says, hey, if you just arrived here, but you can do the work, great. And it, whether you come from a household that practices a certain culture, if you can do the work here, you're fine. And that's really what makes it great. Because you say in your book, you talk about the risks of focusing on the diversity initiative and now I'm beginning to understand what you're talking about was, oh, okay, because if you keep coming back to external, you're kind of missing everything. And I understand how it ties in with the view of that affinity iceberg. Are we treating everybody the best and making sure that we're getting the best and the most from each person? Am I, am I in the ballpark? You are 100% in the ballpark. By focusing on diversity, here's what we've created. And this is evidence-based. All the studies are noted in my book, right? We've created a workplace that if diversity is your first line of attack in the DE&I space, you'll create a, a, a workforce that is us versus them. 
you will, right? I, I call it the lunchroom effect. I will go down to a cafeteria, right? If they have a cafeteria in-house, I'll go down and look around. Are the Hispanic and Latinos all sitting together? Are the Blacks sitting together? Are the Haitians sitting together? Are the Irish sitting together? Are the... Yeah, when I look around and I look at that, I'm like, you clearly have created an us first them. See, inclusion, I go and eat off everybody's plate. I love the uh, the visual on that. And I think that's it's a valid point. Yet, in a trying to apply some kind of one size fits all, we have the EEOC says there's 10 protected classes. Can you run through what those 10 are quickly? I don't know if you can do that off the top of your head or not. Off the top of my head, let's see what we can do here. So the 10 protected classes, we have uh, race. And, and I will be honest, right? Like in the book, I talk about race a little bit. Um, there is one race. It is the human race. We need a better word for race. And maybe that is heritage. Um, because when we think about someone that is Black in race and the construct of race, when I, when I speak to someone that's African-American, and I've had this dialogue, and I'm like, we're all one race. We're all humans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not getting it. What we mean, what African-Americans mean when we say I am black and this is my race, is that what happens to me here affects a black person in Africa just as what happens in Africa to a black person affects me here in the United States. It's a, yeah, it's a collectivism of understanding. Okay, so race is one of the 10. So race is one of the 10. Um, Then we have, so we have race, we have gender, we have uh, sexual identity, nope, sexual orientation, gender identity, veteran status, disability. I'm like really going here. Age, uh, let's see, ethnicity. Did I say ethnicity? I think I said ethnicity. Okay, ethnicity. So I got two more. I don't know what the other two are off the top of my head. What do you got? That's eight's a great place to start. So I think everybody can support the idea of accommodations for disability. I think we're becoming even better at that with the Americans with Disability Act. And now that people are understanding that, you know, mental health is also part of that and that there can be accommodations and that people can have wonderful lives and contribute to their employer, even if they may have been locked out of the workforce in prior years. When I Think about things like, okay, gender and... Uh, sexual orientation and gender identity. Some of those things aren't visible. No, um, they're not. And so in, in hiring and such and, you know, di- various uh, corporate cultures, the your, your personal life separate from your work life. And in fact, an employer can be in a lot of trouble for crossing a line about an employee's personal life. And also employers have some means of you know, say, don't bring your personal life into the workplace too. So we have that. And I don't know, I just tell you my experience as an employer, we were among the first to offer the same healthcare benefits to same-sex couples. And we were so early on with it, we couldn't find the product. The insurance company's like, what? They They didn't know. We had to find insurers that could cover our entire workforce. Which, which was kind of interesting. And I think all those laws are very good. We don't want somebody to not get a job or to be discharged from their work or denied a promotion for any of those things. And if you, sure. can, if you can do the work, you know, fantastic. But isn't there some real risk in just kind of this like ethnicity categories? 
You know, we're just going to lump all these people together because they kind of look the same. And, and are, are we seeing any of that play out? What we're seeing, right, when we look at ethnicity as a protected class, what I'm starting to hear from my attorney friends that play in this field uh, is reverse discrimination. So what we're seeing is that this quota attainment of, okay, so we, right, ethnicity is a protected class. We want more people of color by 3% in leadership. Then a white person comes along and applies for the position and gets denied. That's reverse discrimination. Asian students were held to higher standards. Oh, yes, affirmative action, right? We, we just, we're still going through this with UNC, University of North Carolina and Harvard. And I think you're going to see more joining that from the Asian population. Is it okay for any organization, profit or nonprofit, to say, we have enough of your kind? And also it's flying against the development of the human race is that we are all blending um, it's a rare person that has a single ethnicity. And I, in my experience, and I'm sure lots of others, trying to lump in, you know, Venezuelans, Mexicans, Cubans is nonsense. But the one that's really a howl uh, for people that have any, any historical view is we're going to say Asian American specific Islanders, because they're all kind of, we think the same shade. Oh my gosh, isn't that crazy? If you look into the history, there's no one between a lot of these people. So what about generational diversity and age Mm -hmm. discrimination? Um, Mm -hmm. What are you seeing with that? You know, there was a big push back in the 80s and 90s that we were seeing a little bit more around that age discrimination. Um, Today, we're not seeing it as much because... Our traditionalists are retiring. Our baby boomers are starting to retire. We're losing experience. So we're actually seeing a little opposite uh, from that legal lens that organizations want baby boomers to stay in the workplace and not retire. We don't want to give them a reason to leave. So we need to give baby boomers and millennials tools so they can share ideas. Absolutely. Right. And that's that inclusionary component. Um, I've seen it right here. My husband, right? he's a baby boomer. He's an engineer. They hire fresh outs in engineering. And he's like, oh, yeah, they don't want to work past five o'clock. I'm like, you don't want to work past five o'clock. There's a lot of generational differences. And I've talked about this um, on my show. And it's something that we experience every day that, you know, frankly, the numbers don't work, that with a high school education as a uh, and, and night school, at college, I was able to get into a, a job, an apartment, a car and whatever. Yeah. Um, because of where the tax brackets were and where the cost of things were. And if you try to pencil those numbers in today uh, for yeah. an 18 to 25 year old, the numbers just don't work. And it's not illogical for a person to say, you know what? Why do I want to give up everything I've got when there's not going to be a reward there? Mm-hmm. And so it's it's clearly it's a thing that we need to, I think, address as a society. But I don't know. What are you seeing in your practice? Yeah, I think, um, you know, it's funny. I just spoke to a group of high school seniors. And one of the questions that we asked in the survey um, was, how big do you think your family will be? When, you know, when you, when you get the American dream, the house and the picket fence, how many kids do you want? 
it was scary, right? The human race is relying on Generation Z to procreate, and they're saying, no, thank you. It's too expensive. Those people that we elect and give the power to solve problems like that, to give hope and opportunity for a future generation, based on that vignette, we're failing. We are absolutely failing, but we're already seeing this in the workplace, right? We have, we have 8 million jobs more than we have workers. 8 million. <laughs> Who's going to do the work? We don't, we don't have people to do that work. So, you know, from technology, from that technology lens, you know, AI needs to catch up. We need to be doing much more in manufacturing that don't utilize human hands because that number is going to continue to grow. They say by 2030, we're looking at 40 billion jobs not being filled. Labor markets always come into balance that either technology takes over or we do something else. And also the key is immigration. Uh, yet uh, one yeah. other thing that we've managed to do in the worst possible way as a country, you talk about in your practice, you do something called an inclusion immersion. What exactly is an inclusion immersion? Yeah. So, you know, as I walk um, the reader through the book, we, there are steps that you take. There is a strategic way to bring inclusion and diversity and equity to the workplace. There really is. And it is evidence-based. The studies support that, where we start with that awareness first and foremost, and then we climb that ladder. And the, the last step is that inclusion immersion where you don't think about it. You, the company, your company had that. You weren't thinking about who are we going to hire. You were automatically attracting the top diverse talent out there. You didn't have to have quota attainment because you were already getting that, right? That inclusion, that brand awareness around your organizational culture of inclusion, word gets out. We had technologies that were too heavy for certain people to carry. Mm -hmm. Folks that uh, needed walkers or, you know, you know one folks, you know, one fellow yep. didn't have sight, but he could do the work. And that's the beauty of a technology field because it still gets down to something very binary. Mm -hmm. um, Dr. Starr, this has really been great. And I, I do want to get you back on the show on, on a one specific topic, if we could reschedule you also for a couple months. Sure. I'd love to have you come to us with some trends. What okay. is it that you are seeing as the diversity and equity and inclusion begins to move through the economy and through enterprises and for not-for-profits? Are we getting to a better place? Because I'm sure if it must upset some of our listeners and our readers and our viewers if we have people that don't want to work. And as you said, someone's got to do the work and heaven forbid, they're the same people that don't want immigrants because then I don't know what you do at that point. I don't know what you do at that point. Exactly. But yeah, absolutely. Let's have an evidence trends show. That'd be awesome. Uh, yes, please. Okay. I will ask our producer, Brian, to get that on yeah. the calendar. As we wrap up through this very wide ranging and really <laughs> nipping the tip of the iceberg here, what are some areas that we didn't cover today that perhaps we should have talked about? Oh my gosh, right? I think we've only covered like maybe 10 pages in the book. I mean, DE&I is, it's a 
big and heavy topic. Um, and we need to start talking about it. We need to, you know, there's, uh, there's this trauma-induced fear of diversity in the workplace. We need to start having these conversations. I agree with that. Dr. Starr, you've been a great guest, and I know that we're going to get a lot of feedback on this. I hope it's from people that actually listen to the interview or read the transcript. Sometimes just the titles, we get unusual comments. I'll leave it at that. Any closing comments for our audience today? You can go to my website, Dr. Loran Starr, and you will find a plethora of complimentary information out there. DE&I takes everybody. No one should own thought leadership in one bucket. Uh, and, and I truly believe that. Um, if you're struggling in your organization, don't hesitate to reach out to me. You can just reach out to me on my website and I will gladly get right back to you. Fantastic. I do think people want to do the right thing. They don't know how and they need definition no. and they need guidance. So we've been talking today about diversity, equity, and inclusion, very important topics for this time in the arc of human history. And we're talking with an expert, uh, Dr. Loran Starr, U.S. Army veteran, PhD, and practitioner of over 20 years. And so with our guest, with great gratitude to our guest, Dr. Loran Starr, this is your host, Rich Helpy, signing off on The Common Bridge. Thanks for joining us on The Common Bridge. Subscribe to The Common Bridge on Substack.com or use their Substack app where you can find more interviews, columns, videos, and nonpartisan discussions of the day. Just search for The Common Bridge. You can also find The Common Bridge on Mission Control Radio on your Radio Garden app.